0: During the time of the Exodus, it's estimated that there was somewhere around 2 to 3 million Semites in Egypt. Now, if you talk to Egyptologists and archaeologists and ask them if there's any evidence for this massive population of, of Semites, future Israelites in Egypt during that time, the time of the Exodus, they will say there's none Is there any evidence for the conquest of Canaan uh, that followed shortly thereafter? They will answer, none. Now, uh, the question then needs to be asked, is it time to chuck our Bibles to the side and give up our faith? Or perhaps is there something else going on here? Are they looking in the wrong spots? Are they looking in the wrong time period? Today, we're going to be talking to documentarian and filmmaker Timothy Mahoney about his new film, Patterns of Evidence. Welcome to the Youth Apologetics Training Podcast. like I said in the introduction, we're going to be talking about uh, this film, Patterns of Evidence, with the filmmaker Timothy Mahoney. Uh, guys, I picked this up at Walmart, believe it or not, you can actually get this at Walmart, you can find it on Amazon. Um, I feel like I, I, I missed out on the game a little bit late here because this is an excellent film. Um, wow, what a ride. And uh, you get to see so many of these amazing finds and discoveries uh, firsthand. Timothy Mahoney does an excellent job with this film, uh, showing some of the most recent finds that, sh- that, that really is stirring up uh, the field of archaeology right now. You're not going to want to miss this. So, uh, Timothy Mahoney, welcome to the Youth Apologetics Training Podcast.
1: Well, thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely, Tim. Okay, so I
2: stumbled upon this film of yours, Patterns of Evidence, and, uh, it, I, I love biblical archaeology, and it's always bugged me that, uh, for the most part, there's very little, uh, uh archaeology that has been discovered, uh, that supports this, this story of the Exodus. Uh, you know, I, I have reported on the, Ippuru? Wait, did I just say that word? Uh, Ippur. Right? Yeah. Ippur.
1: Uh, uh, yeah, good. Uh, we could also <laughs> say admonitions of an Egyptian sage, Ippur, or the admonitions of an Egyptian sage. So those are two two different ways to speak about it. Ippur.
2: Okay. And I've talked about that, um, but beyond that, I mean, it's, it's pretty sparse. So... First of all, tell me about the current state of of archaeology concerning the Exodus. Uh um, as far as what is the current theory, when did it happen and um, what evidence or lack thereof do the the uh, archaeologists say there is?
1: Well, there's a verse in the Bible uh I believe it's in the first chapter of Exodus. And it talks about the fact that the the Hebrews, the early Israelites, uh, were uh, the descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Um, had you know gone into Egypt, and you know they went there. Uh, they were given permission, and then eventually they were enslaved because they grew in such a large number of people. And it says that you know in the, the second book of the Bible, in the Book of Exodus, it says that uh, they were they were enslaved and. They were building the store cities of Ramesses and Petum. And there's two cities in the Nile Delta, and they know where those cities are located. And they know that during the time of Ramesses II, he reigned in the 1250 BC time period, roughly around that time. Uh, and so they, there was a synchronism, a connection between the, the, looking for the story in those cities. And so many people, the main thinking is that the Exodus happened at that 1250 uh, BC time period. And that's, that's one synchronism. But there's another verse that's mentioned, uh, and I think it's in Kings. And it talks about the fact that it was 480 years, I believe it is 480 years, yep. before the time of the temple. And so, that actually puts the exodus at like 1450. And so there's been a debate. And I would say that probably more conservative people that believe in the story of the, the chronology that places it more, uh, the Bible storyline, the, the date of 480 years from the time of the temple uh, is where more conservative uh, biblical scholars place the exodus, 1446, we'll just say. And uh, there are, then there's this other group uh, that look at the 1250 B.C. time period. And that's then, the real problem is that mainstream scholars then say, well, there is no evidence for anything that looks like an exodus or conquest at that time period of 1250 B.C. And so uh, that, that's where the problem lies. And that's where what I ended up, you know, running into 12 years ago when I started to investigate this story.
2: Right. And I could see where this could almost lead to a crisis of faith, because we're talking about, I mean, this was no small group. We're talking about most likely somewhere around one to three million uh, people. It's not a small group. I mean, they really should have left a a decent footprint.
1: Right. And, you know, it's you know, as well too is that those people didn't necessarily all live in the same uh, neighborhood uh, because the Nile is this long, uh, you know, you know eight nine hundred miles of r- a river that goes all the way down to uh, 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 you know Sudan and 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 uh, and so it's this long you know river that had. Uh, activities all up and down it on both sides of the river. So there could have been, uh, you know, they, they started out in the Delta, but there were slave lists that came from other places that had Hebrew names. And so the question, when I first started this, when you mentioned the word crisis of faith, was that I went to the very location. Now, I didn't tell you this, but, you know, I grew up in a household, a single-parent home. My mother was a person of faith, and, and she... Read to us the stories of the Bible, and she put enormous amount of faith, and we all did, in the fact that if, if God, you know, uh, performed a miracle to save someone, you know, we believe that that would be possible, that God could, could, could help us in our little, you know, poor family, you know. Mm-hmm. And so as I grew up with that understanding, you know, and I, the idea, the opportunity to go, as, you know, as I became a filmmaker, and then the, thinking of going to Egypt and actually exploring these stories and going to the actual locations. You and I talked about this, the fact how cool it is to be able to, you know, go to either Jerusalem or to the uh, to the Red Sea or, in this particular case, I went to the very location that the Israelites were to have come. For when Joseph invited his family to uh, to live with him in Egypt, I went to that location. And I met uh, one of the world's premier Egyptologists, Dr. Manfred Bita, and I went to the mm-hmm. dig site. And in the book, we, we've written a book about this, and I, I share with the fact that when I found him, I, I was so excited because I had been trying to reach him for quite a long time. And it was very difficult. I it wasn't, you know, I wasn't connecting with him. He was Austrian, And when I finally got, got a hold of him, and, or when I finally got there, I was like, I found Livingston in Africa or something. Uh, I was just so happy to see him. And he was not happy at all to see me.
2: (laughs) (laughs) You know, it kind of comes through in the film a little bit. He doesn't seem very excited.
1: No. uh, But I begged him. I said, listen, I've been looking for you for so long. I've been trying to get a hold of you. Would you please let me ask you a few questions? And he agreed. And those, those, you know, but that, uh, that time that I spent, I probably spent about an hour at his dig site, and I talked to him for a very short time, and I said, <clears throat> is there evidence of the early Israelites here? And he said, so far, not. And I have to tell you, when he said that, it was almost like, uh I couldn't believe my ears. It was like someone hit me uh with a two-by-four. because Yeah. I was not expecting him to say that. And, and what what ended up happening was that that began for me uh, a, a huge crisis of of uh, I was um, I was conflicted because in my mind I understood what he said but in my heart I was supposed to say well wait a minute what am I supposed to do with this not only that but I filmed it and I brought it back and I watched it over and over and over and I was like. How am I going to deal with this? Here's the guy, the one guy who would know, and he was telling me no. And, um, it was through that process I was sitting in the other suite one day, and I, on that weekend, because I, I had to, I was working, uh, making commercials and other things, and I was working on this film on nights and weekends, and, you know, this is like 12 years ago. And, uh, a thought came to me, I think it was on a Saturday morning, as I looked at it. This thought came, Maybe you've been believing a lie all this time, Mm -hmm. and everything that your mother and your family believed is a lie. And it was like this cold chill came over me, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and it was it was a very dark place. And um, all of a sudden, another thought came to me: "It's like stop editing, get up." You know, so I I just got up and I I walked to my office, and it was like I was led to this bookcase, and there was a book there that someone had given me. And I, I pulled the book out and I, I, it was a book on Egypt. And I, you know, I opened it up and it was uh, a book about, called, uh, Pharaohs and Kings, I believe it was. Hmm. And, and it was a book by an Egyptologist, David Roll. Now David oh, Roll yeah. is an ag- agnostic, by the way. But he had been looking at Egypt and looking at different things and he recognized something that, that was happening at at Manfred Bietek's dig site, and he wrote about this in that book. And he started to uncover the fact that it looked as if what Manfred Tech was really doing was uncovering the Israelites, their arrival, uh, Joseph's uh, palace, uh, the tombs of possibly, uh, you know, the patriarchs, the twelve tribes, the twelve, you know, the, the sons of Jacob. Uh, all this was showing up there, and then there was a story about how they grew into this large group. And what we, what we learned, what, what he was able to talk about and, 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 promote was this idea that underneath the city of Avaris was another city much older. And so, this whole idea of, of, we were looking, uh, the, the Bible authors might have been telling us the location but not the time period. You see,
2: right, right. Uh, tell me about this town of Avaris. Uh, that that was kind of right at the beginning of the movie when you started getting into the various finds and uh, fascinating stuff. Yes,
1: uh, and and once again, uh, once this started, you know, people started rallying around this information. But uh, this uh, Egyptologist David Roll uh, was was suggesting that. That there, what he was trying to, to to say is that there's different timelines. There, there's a biblical timeline and there's an Egyptian timeline, and and the biblical timeline doesn't change at all. And which haven't you know been saying there's something wrong with that, but where we thought things on the Bible would have been in Egypt, and he sort started challenging and questioning. How Egypt had formulated its timeline, and so these evidences that nobody could see and recognize at the time of Ramesses or at the time of Avaris, there were evidences for this group of people coming in and a sequence that matched the stories of the Bible. But it was earlier in what they call the Middle Kingdom, and this Avaris, this city called Avaris, was a city in the Middle Kingdom, and and uh, Ramesses was the next great period in Egypt's history, which is in the New Kingdom. And it was built somewhat over the top of this older city called Avaris, and what, uh, so the story that he was trying to say is that is that the the biblical events were being reflected in the Middle Kingdom of Egypt in the time of the Middle Kingdom, but that that and these events were matching the story, and and everyone was blinded to them because of of how the chronology was laid out. And that's basically what the film unravels, is it looks for six major events. And it looks for, the first one is the arrival of the Israelites in Egypt, Joseph and his family. Then their multiplication into a large group of people. Then it looks for um, the enslavement of these people. And then the fourth one is the judgment of Egypt, because the Bible says that, that God... Pharaoh refused to let these people go and so he then gave a series of plagues. And we talked a little bit about this document called the Ippor Papyrus or the Admonitions of an Egyptian Sage. And it has, it's a poetic document from this Middle Kingdom that has things that say very, very stunning kinds of references that, that reference, you don't, you you don't have, I can, Let's see if I can actually read a couple of these. Well, for example, the Bible says in Exodus 4 9, Take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the Nile will become blood on the ground. And Ipoh writes, Behold, Egypt has fallen to the pouring of water, and he who poured water on the ground seizes the mighty in misery. Now, <laughs> what I find interesting about that is that and I've kind of stopped, and I've given you a piece of evidence here in the judgment phases. But um, this poetic document that many people have just dismissed as "there's no connection, there's no connection," what, what David Roll and others, like uh, uh, others, have said. Uh, we've got a variety of different scholars in here, is that that the sequence of the biblical events are happening, uh, and people have been ignoring them. And and what Roel was trying to say was that, is that this document that Ippor has written could be like an eyewitness account in a poetic way. This is what happens when Egypt... And it talks about foreigners coming in, and, and um, there's another one Ippor writes... Well, I'll start with the Bible. The Bible says, And all the water in the Nile turned to blood. The fish in the Nile died, and the river smelled so bad the Egyptians could not drink water from it. And Ippor writes... The river's blood. If you drink of it, you you lose your humanity and thirst for water.
2: <sighs>
1: and the Bible says and the Egyptians' livestock died. Lightning struck the earth, and the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. The flax and the barley were destroyed. That's in Exodus chapter 9. Ipher writes, Gone is the barley of abundance. Food supplies are running short. The nobles hunger and suffer. Those who had shelter are in the dark of the storm. Hmm. <laughs> Once again, it, it, it's it's a passage that mirrors it. And, uh, I mean, there's just numerous, uh, uh, passages that, that, you know, we've got, we've sort of identified them. Now, it, this document has lots of other things it says that don't relate to the Exodus, but there's some that are very specific to it. So it's like a poetic document that, that says, this, these are the things that you don't want to have happen. Don't ever go here again. And, um, Uh, We haven't listed all of them. We probably should have listed even more of these. But I'll give you one. You remember the plague of the firstborn, the the tenth plague. Right. The Bible says on Exodus twelve twenty nine. Now at midnight. Now at midnight, the Lord struck every firstborn male in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the the dungeon, and every firstborn of livestock. And it were writes, behold, plague sweeps the land. Blood is everywhere, with no shortage of the dead. He who buries his brother in the ground is everywhere. Woe is me for the grief of this time. The Bible says, and there was a loud wailing throughout Egypt, because there wasn't a household without someone dead. And Ipar writes, wailing is throughout the land, mingled with lamentations. Now, this wailing could be lots of things, right? right? The issue with patterns of evidence is that it's not the strength of just one idea. But patterns of evidence. Like I stopped on the fourth one. The fifth one is Exodus, that there would be an exodus out of Egypt, and and then the sixth one is a conquest of the promised land. And so all I did is a, uh, and our team did. It was just wasn't me. Steve Law, who who was writing with me as my filmmaking writing partner and researcher, and uh, my team, Pete Wingall as producer and David Western, my executive producer. Everyone was committed to this project. And we just kept asking these questions and kept exploring and finding more details about it. And so what, from an apologetic standpoint, because this program is about apologetics, is what it does is it, it basically lets the Bible speak for itself. Hmm. And and so we said, what does the Bible say? And then what we did is we said, let's choose the, as it were, the the advantage to the world, the, the world's, uh, the, the, the mainstream, the way that people in secular society have great opinion of is science. So, if we if we say, okay, if you want to use this sort of science to 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 uh, have an exchange, then we'll use this sort of science, which is the fundamental idea of, a, of scientific method is to look for a pattern, and if it repeats itself or if there's some kind of connection between that pattern. Uh, if you, if, and so patterns of the evidence then takes this tool, this thing that most people can agree to, and uses that as the device to explore the Bible. And that's the reason why it's so powerful.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and tell me, okay, what is it, right at the beginning of the film, you start talking about this town of Avaris, And the evidence for the the arrival of these Semites. And you talk about a particular house. First of all, this whole town has Semitic-looking architecture. And then all of a sudden, there's one house that is a palace. Right. And it's an Egyptian architecture. Tell me about this house.
1: Yes, that there's a the palace that right in the middle of this community, and and what VTEC has said is that these people were allowed to be there, they were invited there, so they weren't like they came in as conquerors and there was a battle and they took land, they actually lived I think amongst this in this area peaceably. They were, and uh, so this small settlement starts to show up in the archaeology, and they can they can see that, and but in the midst of that there was a house that was there and this was the main house. And it matches the type of houses that Abraham, uh, coming from that area. Uh, I think it's up in the, in Syria, up in that, that area. So it was a, a house that wasn't Egyptian. And that house is eventually destroyed and because it looks like it was the main house. And then another house is built on top of it, but this time it's a palace actually. And uh, the Bible says that as Joseph, you know, uh, you know, he was very highly esteemed in Egypt. And this, they knew that this is a very, very special palace because in the, uh, because of, uh, they knew that the occupant though was not Egyptian. Uh, he was Semitic. And in the, in the backyard of this palace was a pyramid tomb and what was unusual is that there very rarely would be pyramid tombs for anyone other than a a pharaoh or the the queen of a pharaoh and so but this occupant of this palace was not a pharaoh he was a Semitic uh, ruler and he had uh, they had a statue that was they found the remains of it because it actually was destroyed in this chamber where this uh, you know tomb was and they could tell that um, this, this person had red hair. He had light-colored skin. He had a throw stick, uh, a, a stick of authority, and he was, um, you know, it was a very large, you know, statue. So it wasn't a small thing. It was, you know, it was probably um, I'm trying to think, ten or twelve feet tall. Um, wow! And it was seated, so it was a, a very, very large. So it, it was a, it was an honoring. But around this pyramid tomb were other tombs as well. And I believe, uh, according to what I've been told, that there were, there were 11 other main tombs. There were other tombs besides that, but they were not the primary tombs. And so here we have what, what, uh, what David Roll was trying to tell us was that we have a, a Semitic person living in this area, where these other Semitic people came, but he's and he's but he has an Egyptian palace, but he's not Egyptian, and he's a ruler, and he's given great honor by having a pyramid tomb.
2: Hmm.
1: And when they, the other fascinating part about this is that when they uncovered the the grave and opened it up, they found out that it had been broken into twice. And I asked what time, "Was it grave robbers?" He says, "No, because." Um, uh, the bones were missing. Uh, uh someone had come in there and attacked it, but the normally in a grave in a tomb, uh you don't take bones. And
2: <laughs> right?
1: And I, I I'm not sure exactly what I think it was in, in probably in the last lot of part of Genesis, but you know, Joseph tells his brothers he knew the film talks about the fact that these events Abraham, the Bible uh, the Bible's account says that Abraham was told in advance what would happen, that his he w- his family would grow into this large people, and they would be in a foreign land, not their own, and they would be enslaved, but they would return again. So it was sort of the outline of the Exodus was there. And I think that Joseph, as I looked at the story, remembered that promise. And he said to his brothers, when I die in the future, when you, uh, I want you to... Uh, to take my bones when you return back to the land with you. Don't leave them here. Take them with me. And so that was another clue, another part of the pattern. That the this Semitic you know tomb had bones in it, then it really wouldn't have matched the story of Joseph. But the fact that you know being uncovered after thousands of years and the bones were gone, uh, and apparently my understanding is that that somebody was upset with this. Statue and, 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 and this character or whatever, and they busted it all up. And there are references, I think, and I don't have them with me, but they were talking about they should never have let these people in in the first place, you know. I think there's a passage and, you know, why did we let these people come in here and, and do all this? And if, cool. if the story is that they came in, they were allowed to come in, they grew, uh, Joseph was the, the beginning of that uh, memory, and uh, if they destroyed that, that, that tomb because of that, uh, because it appears that somebody took and smashed that statue up, and we don't know who it is, but I'm just saying it fits the story.
2: Right, right, and and you also mentioned during the film that the statue uh, was painted.
1: Yes, uh, um, there there are there's photography and there uh, of the we, we've we show what what it looks like and then we enhance it just a little bit to show you what the outline is and it appears that there is a multicolored garment on this statue and uh, in as some would say Joseph had a coat of many colors and was that representative of this character was it was it sort of bringing back the story of Joseph and his you know multicolored coat um and I do know that when I've looked at other um, paintings, the people that came from that area, I think there's a tomb of Benny they These people had these very colorful coats. Uh, and, uh, and it showed traders that were coming from that area. So this idea of having this multicolored coat might have been part of the fashion of that region or whatever. And if Joseph was given one from his father, a very special one, You know, it sort of fits the story again. It's part of that pattern, and the film, uh, you know, explains that quite well.
2: Right. So, okay, so you have this situation. You have this town, Avaris, and uh, it dates to about, would you say, 1450 B.C., which is about 200...
1: Avaris is much earlier than that. Oh, okay. Uh, Yeah, Uh, Avaris, uh, I think, is more in the 1700s, uh, because remember... um, the Exodus on the biblical timeline would be when did they leave? And the question is, is um, how you know? Sometimes people raise this question about, well, how long were they in Egypt? Were they in Egypt for 400 years uh, of slavery? And the uh, the book actually talks a little bit about that as well. Uh, and it's we created you you as you know we created something called the Wall of Time and it's this really beautiful wall that has three layers on it, uh, three levels, and one level is the Egyptian timeline, and another level is the Bible timeline, and the third level is the Canaan, or uh, the area of, uh, of you know, Israel, ancient Israel timeline. Uh, and uh, we're able to kind of show you where this evidence lines up, as you remember in the film. And uh, so the... Um, we have to know that before the Exodus, if the, if they if there was a four hundred year time period in being in Egypt, then from twelve fifty they would have started at sixteen fifty, right?
2: Oh, okay, yep.
1: But if it was at fourteen fifty then they would have started at eighteen fifty. Um, and uh where things start to get interesting is that you've got the Bible timeline and you have Egypt's timeline. And for a lot of you know a lot of people that that enjoy puzzles and enjoy solving things, that's what patterns of evidence really gives you. The intellectual entertainment level is huge, um, as far as kind of understanding how how this all, you know you know we un- we we peel the layers off from it, and so to not lose your audience here because we're, we're we're talking about something that's very very visual that needs to be understood. Um, yeah, there is. Um, there we we use six uh markers that are squares and we start to show you where the biblical story is on the bible wall and then we start to show you on the egyptian uh historical side of the of the wall where the evidence is starting to show up and as you remember in the film it's showing up earlier sometimes by 400 years uh and then we start to show how how um uh, what what happens when we start to dismiss certain parts of history, because we have good evidence that it's not as valid as it really should be. And that's where the film takes on is Ramesses, really the Pharaoh of the Exodus.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So you have this, this town that pops up. It's a Semitic uh, little village, I guess, about 20, 30,000 people. I think the the film said, and They have Semitic uh, architecture everywhere except for one building that is an Egyptian palace that has 12 graves. One of those graves – oh, I don't even think you mentioned this earlier, but one of those graves, the one that supposedly could be uh, Joseph's grave, was a pyramid, which is something that's only reserved – oh, you did mention this – something only reserved for uh, kings or or, or princes – or, I'm sorry, pharaohs. Uh, uh, oh, I just botched that. Pharaohs or or queens of pharaohs. And in there is a statue with somebody that has a multicolored coat and his bones are missing. It seems like it could be some evidence for that arrival. What about mu- the, the multiplication?
1: What ends up happening is that the... Um, the uh, the archaeology archeolo- shows that this city grew from that little small group that came there into one of the largest cities in the ancient world. As we said, there was 20 or 30,000 people that were there. But then we, I, I went to England, and I talked with uh, John Bimson uh, from Trinity College there, and he told me that there were many sites, there were like 20 or 30 other sites, that were like a virus in this area. They hadn't been excavated, but they knew that they existed and so we do know then that there's this rather large area in this uh, part of the delta, uh, the eastern side of it, that was showing signs of great multiplication. And so that that shows uh, that that was part of the what the film was trying to show is that, that that it wasn't just here in this one city. It was expanding, and then what we started to see is that, that the, the archaeologists started to notice that the people who lived here then went. By the way, they were quite wealthy and prosperous in the very beginning. Uh, they they came with. Uh, they actually have uncovered, uh, you know, daggers and, and belts, and and their burials were 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 different. Uh, people that are Semitic were buried with sheep and I think with uh, oxen and they had um, they had they they were buried on their sides in a more of a fetal position and Egyptians were always buried on their back more like the shape of a you know a mommy and so there's you know they knew that they were these were different types of people but when they examined them at later on they could see that the people were dying at a very young age and that they were they had Harris lines which were cracks in their bones so they were male malnutri- you know nourished and these people were, uh, they started to notice that there was a high infant mortality rate. And, um, I, I, I think too, as I remember it, there, there are even in other parts of Egypt, there were these Semitic, uh, slave areas, uh, that had these, you know, bone boxes. And that, you know, so they, they were saying that there was higher infant mortality than, than normal. And when they examined the graves of, of the adults, so there were more women than men.
2: Now that's significant, because at one point, Pharaoh has all the male children uh, killed. Yep. And, and so basically what you're saying is, is we see these this evidence of massive multiplication, and then sometime later, suddenly we start seeing their culture uh, go from somewhat wealthy to, you know, well-off, to suddenly they're starting to look more like they are slaves. Yes. And uh, malnourished, not doing too well, and there is a, a big disproportion between the males and females. Uh, fascinating. Looks It looks like uh, the slavery yep. that you find in the Bible.
1: Well, then, actually, to top that off, is that they actually started finding slave lists. Or they found a slave list. It's called the uh, Brooklyn Papyrus. And it's from an estate. Uh, I believe it's in southern Egypt. And um, I actually have a copy of it. And uh, uh, I got a document. And the man who deciphers this actually uh, relates it to the biblical names. He says these names are, you know, are, are matching the biblical names. I think they're... There's different forms, masculine and, and feminine, and and they have the name Manakin, uh, Asher, uh, Asher is one of the tribes. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I think there's the name Zipporah, which is the name of one of the midwives. So there's these names that are matching, uh, you know. So it's not we 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 know they're not just anybody. They're they, they've got. Is uh, some of the Hebrew type names that match the names in the Bible. And, um, so, uh, so anyway, you know, obviously this is a, a very old cold case, right? Uh, <laughs> but, uh, uh, these are, these are clues that help to look at it and say, wow, what we're seeing is that how do these people that have the same names show up on slave lists in this earlier time period, uh, and, and it's starting to, it's starting to connect. And um, looking here, you know, there's another name, uh, uh Ishikar. And so hmm. we have two names, Ishikar and Asher, two names for, that were Parts of the sons of Israel. I mean, there were names that matched the sons of Israel. Okay, indeed. That's
2: awesome. That is awesome. Yeah, supposedly my family line can be traced back to uh, Issachar. Uh, I, I, My dad did this once, and he was telling me about it. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. How did you figure that out? And uh, he explained it, but yeah, kind of interesting. Wow.
1: Yeah, the- yeah I mean, for people that have that, that capability, I, I do know, by the way, there are I've talked with with the man who narrated the film. I think one of his son-in-laws has um, uh, a name list that that goes back uh, all the way back to Aaron. And and it's a hundred and, you know, I think five generations, and they have the names of everybody. Now you'd say to yourself, now this is another apologetics, uh, interesting question. I went to Haifa in Israel, and this is for another part of this investigation, but uh there was a report that was submitted. Uh there was a rabbi there was a man who was uh Kohanim, you know, Aaron, the tribe of Aaron, which were were in you know, were kind of before you know, this is later on, but in the story of the Exodus, but Moses' brother Aaron, um, you know, the tribe of Levi, this is where the priests were to come from. And um um what ended up happening is uh, is that this, there were people with the name Cohen and, uh, they were, they, they, were different people, and some of them are, are dark, uh, you know, Jewish people, and others are black. I mean, they're people from Africa that are saying that they're from this tribe. Hmm. They're Kohanim, they're, they're from the priestly line. And in order to sort of come to a settlement of, of, you know, is this even true? They decided to take their DNA, and they took DNA from several hundred, I'm not sure how many it was, four or five hundred people around the world, people that that were Jewish, but they didn't look like they were related at all. You know, Some were light-colored, some were dark, some were black, and they found out that all of them were related to the same ancestor. And so, uh, and it was proven, I mean, they published it in a science magazine, and I went and interviewed that. That person, uh, Dr. Skrecki in Haifa, uh, who did this. And, uh, so it's been submitted, you know, into the world. So what we find out is that from a DNA scientific standpoint, these people who say they're part of this actually, their DNA actually stands up to that test. Now, what's fascinating about it is how many, how many generations back do you think it is to the time of the Exodus?
2: Oh wow! Oh, I have no idea.
1: I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you some a clue, an, e- an easy clue. Let's just say a generation is 30 years. Okay. By the time you're 30, you have a son or a daughter, and then by the time they're 30, they have a child. But let's just keep with the sons. So one father has a son, and then you know, the next one has a son, and the next one has a son, and so it would be 30 years a generation. Well, if you divide 300 or uh, 3,500 years or 3,600 years, let's just use 36, you'd go back uh, 120 generations. Hmm. Now, what's amazing about this is that 120 generations back to that time, when you put 120 people, if you go to a movie theater, for example, that's a very small theater. Uh, you know, uh, if you're in a church and there's 120 people sitting there, it's, it's not necessarily that large of a congregation, but that's how many generations, that's how few of generations, because it seems like it would be hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, it seems like it'd be way long time ago.
2: <laughs> right.
1: Yeah, but it's not, it's only 120 generations back to that story. Huh. To the beginning of that, those events and uh that's what this dna researcher found out too the dna could show the generational kind of variations and he found out to be between 105 to 100 and, i think 30 or 40 uh generations back in the different uh in the dna
2: hmm, hmm. yeah you know, another thing you bring up in the video that uh I, we've kind of passed over it no pun intended but um <laughs> you mention also Okay, in the book of Exodus, when Joseph interprets that dream for Pharaoh, Pharaoh uh, appoints him basically as his right-hand man and sets him in charge of uh, gathering a massive storehouse of food that's going to last him for seven years during lean times. And during that seven years of famine, uh, the wealth of all the regions surrounding Egypt uh, seems to shift to the Pharaoh. Uh, is there evidence of that wealth shift during the same around the same time as the city of Ivaris and and uh, you know these other events?
1: Is, you're asking the question
2: yeah yeah
1: <laughs> well the answer the answer is yes and um, and this was something that once again uh, that uh, uh, they, they found that there was a, during this particular period there was, it was what was called nomarchs, and they had tremendous wealth. So Egypt basically wasn't, didn't have one great pharaoh. It had almost like a number of godfathers that that uh, were, were worked their way all the way down the Nile, and they had territories. But something happened in one particular point in history where all the wealth is concentrated with the pharaoh, and a lot of Egyptian history books they don't have any explanation for it. But if we look at the story of the Bible and we look at, at the famine, you know, policy was that eventually uh, because of the fact that Pharaoh, through Joseph's uh, direction, gathered and saved grain just for people's, uh, you know, when the famine came, they people, you know, they first they gave all their their money for food and then they started selling their land and then eventually they sold themselves. And, hmm. and, and that then gives some type of explanation why all the power of Egypt went to the pharaoh and transferred to the pharaoh.
2: Right, right. Okay, well, what about, uh, what about the conquest of, of Canaan? So there was the judgment. We did talk about the, the uh, Ippur uh, uh, papyrus. And there was actually quite a bit of other evidence that you you mentioned in the film, I believe. Uh, but then, yeah, they cross the Red Sea, um, and uh, they spend their 40 years in the wilderness. Then there's this, this time of conquest where Joshua enters into the Promised Land. Uh, that was awesome. That was a really neat part of the film. Tell me about that.
1: Yeah, well, it is a pretty cool part of the film. And, and actually... Uh, I just want to share with the listeners that we spent, uh, you know, over a year just working on the five or, you know, the seven mm-hmm. minutes of conquest. And one thing that I realized that would have been, that was amazing was that we had the plan for the 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 dig site. You know, we had the plans. In fact, I actually have uh, documents from the very first dig site, the very first digging that was done there and um, uh, I was able to to get that document. It was a book that was printed. Uh, It's all in German, and it's Ernst Zellen who who, who did this book, and um, we found it in Jerusalem, and we were able to to, to get it. We we, we were able to then take the plans, and we copied the the dig reports and made rebuilt Jericho, uh, exactly in the size and in the place that it's, that it was in the ancient time where it is. So the, the mountains are in the right place. The, the city is in the right shape. We've, we tried to, to rebuild everything in the right dimension so that when you look at Jericho or when you look at this earlier city in Egypt of Ars, you're looking at the actual recreation from the dig reports of what the city would have looked like. Uh, and we've used this uh, terragen software that allows us to, you know, recreate mountains and sky and everything. So it's it's possible that you're seeing something that's very very close to what it would have been, might have been thousands of years ago. And at this location, this goes back to this big question of when things happen. If we go back to the idea that Ramesses was the pharaoh of the Exodus, and that's what everyone in mainstream so any. You know, most of the time, anybody who's talking about these stories and they're telling you there's no evidence for it, they are absolutely correct. There is no evidence for the Bible in the time they're looking for it. But once again, when what these other scholars were telling me is that, uh, and what the film is about is, if you look earlier, there's the entire pattern for the conquest shows up, but it's earlier than when people are suggesting it should be, and uh, we see evidence of a Jericho of a city with high walls, and we, we start to see that that existed at the right, you know, matching all the other evidence, it comes in the right sequence. So we go through, remember the six steps. We have arrival, multiplication, slavery, judgment, exodus, and then we move to to uh, the conquest. That That sixth step is in the right sequence, matching the, the evidence in Egypt. But it's up in that conquest of the Canaan area. It's up in that. And we start to see that the cities that were supposed to be there are there. And then something happened. Something amazing happened in the history of that part of the world. So much so that it changed from the Middle Bronze Age to the Late Bronze Age. And what happened is that many of the cities were destroyed and burned. <laughs> and, and what does that, what does that match? It matches the story of the conquest.
2: Right, right. Tell me about Jericho.
1: Well, Jericho, um, you know, had a lower retaining wall. The Bible, you know, the Bible uh, uh, doesn't communicate uh, other than it was a great fortified city. And um, I'm trying to think of the details. Uh, we were able to take the, the remains of the city of Jericho and build it, but it says the Bible says that. The the spies went into Jericho, and they were kind of casing the place, right? And we know the story of a a woman there. Her name is Rahab, or Rahab is the Jewish pronunciation. Uh, And uh, she helps them, and she hides them and protects them. And then she tells them that that we know what has happened, we've heard about this, and she wants protection, and they, they give her protection and this is an important part in the story uh of the of the conquest and she she's told to to put a scarlet out her window a scarlet you know a, a cord or uh, and so that, that when, and the when her whole family should stay there and what they found up these germans when they excavated this area the bible says that when the walls fell they did not fall her house was built into the wall, and her house did not fall. And when the Germans ex- excavated this area, they found that a portion of the wall didn't fall. It had fallen in all the other areas, but in this one area, it didn't fall. And so it matches the, the biblical story. And and when the other archaeologists that had been there, uh, Kenyon, they said that, that something caused it to, you know, something called the walls to fall, but then it wasn't an earthquake though because uh, the the city was set on fire and uh, that's exactly what they found. The city was burned and you can still see the burn layers today and there is a grain that was they uncovered and the grain was, you know, burned, but I don't think it was not completely usable, but they could see the burned grain. Now why this, and that was found all over the city, and why that was important, was the Bible told them, in the Bible, God tells them, don't take the grain. This, Don't take anything. This is an offering to me. And these little details, uh, the fact that there was grain there in the first place, said that it happened at the spring of the year. And that's exactly when the Bible says that it actually happened. It just gathered in the grain from the from the winter crop. And so obviously there's probably more details than I'm even sharing here, but those are the types of things that, that patterns of evidence starts to explore. And once again, I'm a filmmaker, I'm not an archaeologist. There are are I'm talking to people on both sides of this story. But I am looking for the story. I'm letting the Bible tell us what uh it you know, it's 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 speaking for itself. And then we're going out. We're saying, is there any evidence that matches the story? Let's not say where it has to be. Let's just see if it can fall into the right place. Let's just see if there's if we can find a piece of evidence. Then what happens next? What happens next? And as you saw in the film and in the book, what we're what we're hearing from these different you know archaeologists and Egyptologists are saying there is a pattern, and no one's going to no one's willing to to admit it. And this film comes along and builds a case that says. Okay, let's let the rest of the world know that this pattern exists. And so now you know, how, as you watch the film, uh, that, you know, that when people say there's no evidence for the stories of, of the Exodus or the conquest, there's a whole other story that can be told.
2: Right, right. And you make a very compelling case with that movie. Guys, uh, if you haven't seen this, you really got to go pick it up. I mean, I I really can't uh, recommend this enough. It is such a good film. And really, I mean, I'm sure you can find it on Amazon. Um, I'm sure you can find it in a great many different places. I found it, believe it or not, at Walmart. I went up to Wally World and I found it there for $13. That was a steal. I've watched it twice and I'm probably going to watch it a third and a fourth time. Uh, my family loved it. And, uh, today, Tim and I, we've barely scratched the surface in all of all the the interesting finds, these patterns of evidence that have been discovered that really do match perfectly. The Exodus. I mean, it is fascinating. It makes your hair stand up. It gets, I don't know, m- maybe I'm a geek, but I got very excited. I mean, there were multiple times when I was, <laughs> when I was cheering for the video because it was just like, yeah, that is so cool. So, uh, yeah, I can't recommend it enough. Uh, Tim, one of the things you, uh, you kind of bait a little bit with a, a, a little commercial that's part of the, uh, features of an up-and-coming film. I know you don't want to say too much, but what can you say about this up-and-coming almost sequel?
1: Oh, okay. Well, uh, just let me say one thing is that if people want to get the film right now, too, they can go to, uh, evidencecom and there's a store locator there. We've actually, you know, had some challenges, uh, uh, with Amazon, because I think we sold out a whole ton of it. We're, they're trying to fill in the inventory there. So uh, if they can't get it there, they can look at the other op- options: Christian bookstores, like you said, Walmart, or even on our own website, where they can purchase the product. Now, you talked about uh, other, you know, products and other things that are coming. I'll just say that. Right now, we are, we have a movie event kit for, for churches, if they want, or for colleges, or for any outreach that, uh, people can, uh, purchase. They can, you know, look on the website for that. There's, uh, there's coming a, um, a, uh, small group study series that Kevin Sarbo and I are going to be, we filmed it and, uh, we just gotta cut it together, uh, which will be a six-part small group series to sort of, you know, to, to go through parts of the film and, and do a Bible study. And, uh, ask these questions about how do you deal with the crisis of faith? And is it okay to have questions? And then how do you, how do you work your way through it so that you can find answers? And I think that's part of what, uh, our company Thinking Men Films is trying to help all of us to do. And then, um, you mentioned, um, uh, I'll just tell you another thing, uh, I'm working on a series called Young Explorers right now.
2: Yeah, yeah. What's up with that?
1: Yeah, well, it's I I could tell we we had all these kids coming, and they were so excited about all this. And they just love Egypt and and, and a lot of them love the Bible, and and they're interested in these, you know, how is this all connected? And um, I, I decided to make a series, which is, a little more dramatic uh, it's probably some I'm not sure how many hours it's going to be but it's probably between two, you know two to four hours long and it's a multi-part series it could be curriculum homeschool type material it can be just watch it with your kids and go through the Bible uh, I think it's going to be really powerful we're really happy with it uh, it's uh, uh, kids uh, 8 to, to 16 years old go on this ex- adventure they become young explorers for patterns of evidence and, uh, and then Finally, to answer your question, you ask about uh, patterns of evidence. Uh, the Exodus is the first, but there are multiple other possibilities that we have. And the next one, at working title is Moses, Patterns of Evidence Moses, which we're going to take, and look at the life of Moses, look at the journey, where did he flee, which, you know, where, where was this mountain that God told him to go to? And then he goes back, he has to bring these people through the wilderness, and they've gotta go, what sea did they cross? You know, what, what, where did these things happen? And we're, we're gonna explore the different potentials for the route, we'll look at the mountains, and look at evidences for this, and then what happened at that mountain that many believe changed the world. Uh, you know, this, this, this amazing event where these people you know, met with God and he gave them these commandments and gave them, uh, made a covenant with these people and said, you know, you're to be my people. And and so that's what we're going to explore in the next film. And uh, we're really, really excited about that. We spent a lot of time on that already and we've got a lot of the footage in the can and we're just trying to get to keep this thing moving forward. And that's why it's great to have everyone's help. Uh, if they like this, they can go to, like I said, PatternsofEvidence.com and learn more. We're going to try to create a lot more resources for people. And uh, it's the kind of film, as you could probably say, that you could show it to just about anybody because it's really balanced. It allows people to, on different viewpoints, it's very courteous in the sense that you know, we're not putting anybody down, but we're just challenging people to think and to look at this evidence and to... You know to consider it and i think that's kind of where we are today
2: right right yeah uh wow how exciting now um let me ask you this you know uh if they i obviously when these when my listeners purchase this video if they get it from walmart or amazon you or thinking man films probably makes a little bit less. If they buy it from your website, do you guys do a little bit better?
1: Well, that's an awkward question because we are trying to support everybody, but uh, <laughs> uh, I guess people can figure out the match for themselves. But, um, uh, I think that, um, uh, you should, you need to go where you can get it sent to you immediately. And right now there's some shipping challenges that we're having in other locations. So, um, uh, I'm glad we, we did so well. We were the number one documentary on Amazon for the month of August and, uh, and so, uh, we just had great interest and, and we're, uh, we're trying to get all of our partners to keep the, the product in flowing and everything, but we got plenty of product. Uh, you, could, you just need to check that website and see where, where's the most convenient and, and where can you get it, you know, now. And, right, right, uh, and it's we have it streaming too. By the way, for if your listeners oh, okay. want to watch it, rent it, uh, they can get a streaming version. And uh, I think we're on iTunes, and um, like I said, uh, we're at ChristianCinema.com. They can go there. Uh, so there's a variety of places that they can can get streaming uh, as
2: well. So okay. Yeah, and I, I apologize. I didn't mean that to be awkward. I, I guess my, my whole point in saying that is I, I understand the costs that go into making something good, making a good product. And uh, when you, the person that makes it, um, is allowed to uh, uh, make that money back, that encourages you to make another that is just as good, if not better. And so basically, it's a way for my listeners to encourage you more. Yeah. Uh, and and, and I, I'm i just going to go on a limb and guess that I am sure that you probably get um, uh, more blessing out of it when they purchase it from your website versus Amazon or, or Walmart because more of it is going to go to Thinking Man Films and give you a better budget than to uh, uh, pursue this even more in the future.
1: But well, we also have our uh, uh, we have other resources on our website that people can look at. Um, there's lecture series. There's uh, the books. We have another book called Exodus Myth or History that we just uh, that's coming out in October. Uh, that's our national release for that. That's uh, David Roll's book, and we're going to be producing. We hope to produce more more products in this area. We've got them uh, kind of in queue here. Uh, and so there's a lot of, uh, you know, I, we're looking for people to get behind us. We also have a thinker, thinking man's, the uh, thinker's news or email that I have. You can sign up and I'll, I'll send out uh, updates, uh, you know, every month, uh, several times a month. I'll send out updates to our thinkers. We've got, you know, uh, thousands of people that have signed up for that. And they're kind of on the inside track about what's happening, and I can give them—I'll give them links. And so we're trying to continue to give people tools. So that's what I think that this film does. Wouldn't you say it just gives a tool for people? Uh, very unusual tool. You can show this uh, to your skeptic friends, and and they're going to like it. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I found we've had people that are atheists and give us great re- reviews. <laughs> I was just really surprised. You know, they might not agree with everything, but they really like the, the film. And uh, right now, I mean, like, you know, we've been getting really high rank, you know, ratings, and uh, you know, all that work of going and, and looking and, and digging this stuff up. Uh, and I'm going to be honest. I, I don't. Nobody knows uh, the, if you know, how much of this we've gotten right. But there's enough of it and we don't try to say, we try to be declarative. We basically say, okay, you guys can decide, but at least I'm going to tell you what happened to me in the last 12 years. This is what I've seen. I'm reporting it. You guys can decide for yourself. And I think that all of us need to be thinkers, and uh, we need to take the scripture and look at it and understand it. A lot of people have a very shallow understanding. A lot of I think people don't understand the Old Testament. They don't even look at it that very often. Uh, yeah. And Jewish people would not call it the Old Testament. That's not. It's not old to them. Uh, like it needs to be replaced. They're very offended by that terminology. But for clarity of what I'm saying is that the the first books in the Bible from Genesis you know, uh, through to... What's the last one? I can't remember. Is
2: Deuteronomy.
1: Well, the, then the... There's, yeah, I mean, that's the Torah, you know. Uh,
2: oh, yeah, Micah.
1: Micah, yeah. You know, he's looked through all of that. A lot of people never, ever really consider those, but those are hugely important. Those are foundational. Uh, and I'm, I'm fascinated by these events. That, and, you know, as I said, they didn't happen that long ago.
2: right. Right. So, 120
1: generations. Yeah. As the crow flies, right?
2: Right. Where can people sign up for your uh, newsletter?
1: They can go to uh patterns of patterns of And they can okay. sign up and and uh yeah, we have got a lot of a uh, lot of things, you know, we're we're trying to put forward and and um and we're just thankful to have you and your you know uh your support and anyone else who's who's out there i think what we're trying to do is give people tools and uh, and i think that um, you know i you know there there's a lot of people that have different types of crises of faith and this particular uh, journey for me uh i could have basically come to a point where I just said, you know what? Uh, I don't believe anymore. But fortunately, uh, that didn't happen, and I was able to work that out. And that's what I think we need to basically do. There's a there's a uh, a Bible scholar by the name of Doctor Walt Kaiser, and he's been supporting mm-hmm. the film. And um, and he said, you know, a lot of times we have questions, and he says, you know got to do is put that on you, you, you don't put it on the front burner you put it on the back burner you let it simmer for a while and eventually things will happen where you basically be able to maybe have an answer for some of those questions and yeah for a long time this mystery of this information has been sitting there and um, a lot of people have had no answers for it and patterns of evidence i think has been a project that for the first time I believe has given some answers and uh, helps people to have an alternative to the type of programs or types of things they might've seen on other channels that, you know, on cable TV that uh, are critical of the Bible. Now, this film, I think you would mention that everybody should have it. I believe that, that, you know, obviously I'm, I'm the filmmaker, but I, <laughs> I spent 12 years um, working hard and our whole team did. A lot of sacrifice to basically tell this story. And if you've got young, you know, your family needs to see this so that your kids uh uh when they go off to university or go to college or go anywhere as go into life, they're gonna know that the Bible declares itself to be a historical book. And what you're gonna find with this uh film and these and our own you know, the book that's, that tells story patterns, is that it's matching, it is, it's finding up, it's coming up historically, matching the evidence. And that's a big deal.
2: Yeah, amen, absolutely. And really quick, I want to correct myself. I said Micah was the last book. Uh, it's, it's Malachi, the Malachi. French prophet, yeah, the French prophet Malachi. Um, <laughs> I, we, we, both know better, but Malachi, and, be the and Italian Malachi.
1: prophet Malachi. Oh
2: yeah, that's what, yeah, yeah. The Italian prophet Malachi. Um, but anyway, sorry, I had to throw that in there. Uh, well, Tim, wow. What, what a pleasure to have you on. Uh, thank you for coming on the podcast.
1: Well, thanks for having me. And I'm glad we were able to finally connect and, you know, uh, we, we can do this again.
0: All right. There you have it. Timothy Mahoney, the film Patterns of Evidence, Exodus. You got to pick this up. Wow. What a ride. What an amazing film. Very well done. Uh, You know, there's so many films that are being cranked out in the Christian community that are just kind of subpar. You know what I'm saying? You you, you watch it and you're like, well, that was kind of neat. But Uh, yeah, can you say low budget, you know, and these types of things. Well, this film, wow, he did such a good job. It is such a quality piece of work. And uh, uh, the evidence that he brings to the table, the archaeological evidence, we only covered a small sampling of it here today. You really got to check that out. So yeah, Patterns of Evidence, Exodus. And it's by Timothy Mahoney. Uh, Guys, uh, upon releasing this podcast, just you know, today being uh, October twelfth, next Sunday, I will be embarking on a mission trip. Uh, I'm going to see if I can't have my wife release some podcasts while I'm gone. I'm going to be gone for two weeks. Um, to be honest, I'm a little nervous. I'm going somewhere that uh, I've been told I'm not allowed to uh, disclose until after the journey is over. Uh, Is there danger involved? Yes, there is danger involved. I've talked to some people and said, oh, you'll be fine, you know, no worries, nothing to worry about. And I've talked to other people who raised their eyebrows and looked at me like, whoa, you're crazy. You're gonna do that? Yes, I am. Um, So um, I never, anymore, I don't ask for tithes, but friends, I could use your prayers. Uh, Please, over the next few weeks, please pray for me. Pray for, for uh, the safety of my team and, and, and I as we do what we're going to be doing. And rest assured, I'll be telling you all about it when I get back. Pray for our safety. Also, pray for success. You know, pray that God uses us mightily. Uh, I've never done anything like this before. And so uh, I desperately need your prayers. Uh, I am going to be completely out of my element Okay, so um, I'm, I'm pushing myself to new levels on this one. Uh, and and yes, I could uh, really use your prayers. Uh, I'm definitely nervous. I'm also very excited. You know, everything is in God's hands. Uh, but, you know, uh, <laughs> once I tell you what I did, yes, some of you will be like, oh, no big deal. You know, whatever. And others of you are going to be thinking, oh, my goodness, you're crazy. That That's nuts. Yeah, I, I, yeah I'm, I'm, le- I'm leaning more towards the nuts side. But um, we're going to do this. And praise God, I pray that the gospel goes forth and uh, just as many people as we can reach. I'm praying that God uses us and brings us back home safely uh, without any any major issues. All right, guys. Well, next week, uh, the podcast I'll be releasing, we're going to start talking about this messianic movement, the Hebrew Roots movement. I've had so many requests over the years to get into this, and I've been a little reluctant, uh, but I have recorded now three podcasts on the subject um, and I think that will complete that series, so look forward to part one coming out next week, and then yes, I'm, I'm also looking to uh, potentially have a few guests on in the, in the future on this subject as well, because it is a fairly large subject, uh, but whatever the case, look forward to that, and with that, I love you guys, and uh, well, I'll be talking to you next week on a pre-recorded podcast. Again, please be praying for me as uh, a team of guys and and i are going to be doing something um, a little gutsy in another country (laughs) god be praised god be glorified and god be with us Uh, with that i love you guys and we'll talk to you next week